Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's the uh, first day of February already. I, I had that realization about 45 minutes ago. I can't believe it's already February. A month into the new year. How's the resolution going? Yeah. I I didn't make any resolutions, remember? That's right. I How's thought... your resolution going? <laughs> you how, gonna... is, how is drinking from a... A non-wasteful container. Oh, you're doing it. Check me out. Look at you. On both fronts. I got my water and my coffee. How many non-reusable containers have you used so far this year? Are you keeping count? No, but it's greatly diminished. I mean, I'm carrying a water bottle with me everywhere I go now. And I'm so happily hydrated. I've been I've been preaching the hydration thing for a while. I won't get into it on the air. It was good though. Drinking a gallon of water a day. And it feels amazing. Wow. Yep. That's a lot of water. Feels amazing. <laughs> good. Yeah. Good, I'm glad. All right, well, no resolutions for you. No. Jim, did you make any resolutions? Not really, but I've been using these more often too, the you know, the reusable containers. Yeah. Check there it out. We all brought our reusable cups this Everyone's morning. Everyone's holding them up right now. Too. Cheers, fellas. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for great radio. We're all waving them at the microphone. See? That's funny. Oh, boy. All right. Well, big plans for the weekend? Just, you know, the big game? Game? The Super Bowl. Oh, snore. Is there a football game on tomorrow? Yeah. I'm pulling for the 49ers. Yeah, um, <laughs> they're not in it, I don't think. That's what he's saying about the game, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll be I'll be watching it with like the enthusiasm of my wife this year. I thought that was me. Over here. <laughs> we got new, to turn something. It's off. a new music bed. <laughs> there we go. We got that problem solved. Yeah, I'll be watching for the commercials and the appetizers. You know. <laughs> I, I'll still have a, a a good understanding of how the game is played and what the objectives are, unlike my wife. But um, yeah, I'm not that excited about it this year. Yeah, I think it'll be a good game. I think you know the commercials are always pretty exciting. I was reading a lot that um, the trend this year is more teasers. Like they've been putting out commercials the past few weeks that yeah. are kind of teasing about the big Super Bowl commercials. Reminding us of what the winning recipe is for a great Super Bowl commercial right. from yesteryear. That'll be exciting. I, I like to I like to do the Super Bowl. You know, did you guys notice how much stuff is blooming around town? Have you guys seen this? I have actually kind of noticed some things, yeah. I was over on Los Osos Valley mm-hmm. Road yesterday, and the little... Um, like they have those little ornamental cherries or almonds, whatever mm-hmm. they are, they're yeah. blooming like crazy. Uh-huh. I wonder, 
This, I think it's just because the weather hasn't changed. This bizarro weather is going to have mm. allergy season come on early, and I'm we not go ready from for that. Summer to spring, spring to summer, summer to spring, spring to summer. Cutting out a couple seasons, couple key ones. Yeah. And so Cutting. now all the news is about water or lack of it. I did see a couple drops fall from the sky the other day. I think that was Thursday. And was, it, maybe the rumor is that there might be rain tomorrow. Another little like splash though. Yeah. I saw Dave Hovde saying on the um on his weather report that we needed to get a half inch to an inch of rain a week between now and March. Crazy, huh? To not have the reservoirs go down any farther, just to maintain the level of drought we have. And that feels insurmountable. Not like it's something we can affect much anyway. Like it's a well, that's an unrealistic goal, Dave. How how, how do you expect me to do that? <laughs> well, I was wondering too. You know, just to talk about this this cloud seeding thing. Yeah. How come when we had those big clouds the other day, they didn't do that? Um, I don't know. I'm no. I'm not sure. I don't know enough about that. And when yeah. people start talking about it, I immediately switch into you're crazy. So I'm. <laughs> I need to read more about it. I apologize. I don't know either. So. I know I, I I was I saw one thing though on the on the Facebook where somebody was like, "This drought's crazy. They should get in there and do some cloud seeding." And then this big debate broke out, and then somebody finally was like, "There's no clouds to seed, buddy. Like <laughs> it's all blue skies." Yeah. yeah, but I don't I don't know enough about cloud seeding. That's how we're being brainwashed, right? With cloud seeding? Pretty sure. Or is that chemtrails? <laughs> I'll never be able to keep up. Oh well, let's move on. Um, yeah, I forgot to, uh, I'm, I'm still booting up, so I don't have all my notes ready, but I, I want you to know that there's a lot of them and I know we're not going to cover nearly what we brought to talk about today. I'm super excited about having, um, the County tax assessor on for the second hour of the show today. That's right. At 11 AM, we're going to be joined by Tom Bordenaro and, you know, We've had him on now a couple years in a row, uh, yeah. just to get updates on... This will be the third time. Yeah, on the county t uh, tax situation, and, and he has a lot of information about property values. Um, so, in the past, I think it's generally just us asking questions of Tom, but you know, we I'm going to get the message out early that he's live on the air, and, and he's giving us an hour of his time, so there's an opportunity for you, the listener, to also chime in and ask a question that that you might be wanting to ask something that's it's been burning at you that you need to ask the t the county tax assessor i i i really feel like it's a great opportunity and there'll be some good questions asked i've already dreamt up a half a dozen questions that i can't wait to ask so we we won't have shortage of things to talk about and actually had a couple people yesterday mention to me that they had questions that they were um, intending to listen and call today with questions. So we'll see. That's good. We'll see if that um, comes to fruition or not. Uh, so, yeah, lots to talk about in the first hour. Super excited about our guests in the second hour. Um, the This week in the market, huh? Pretty, another pretty volatile uh, week. A lot of mixed news. Um, information about GDP, information about. Um, the feds uh, in their stance on tapering, which was widely talked about before they rolled it out. And then housing data, I mean, stuff from across the board coming out. And it's hard to 
it's hard kind of to put finger on whether or not things add up to show a strong economy or if they add up to show that we're maybe waffling here again. Your thoughts? I'm waffling. I, I think I'm a waffler. Yeah. Um, when you look at the stock market, stock market finished January down pretty, pretty significantly. It was, I mean, every time you, you looked up at the, the board on CNBC, everything's red. That's not a good sign. Um, and we kind of got a little taste of that as tapering was being talked about that when the, when the fed starts pulling the plug on the easy money that, um, Maybe we are going to see some retraction in, in yeah, stock the, prices. The idea and... that it it kind of, um, if we were thawing frozen credit markets with all of this extra money, does beginning to extract that money create a business environment that um, causes concern? Is it more expensive? Is it harder to transact? Does the future look not as bright? How much of the growth and profits and earnings that these companies have been boasting that have pushed all the financials up is going to to retreat once we begin taking that money out of the economy. I mean, that's really the question. It was funny it, when the taper stuff first began, when they said, oh, no, we're not ready yet. We're going to leave the money in for longer, rally in the stock market. And so I, I always wondered when tapering was actually underway, um, and it was evident that they were sticking to their guns on winding it up and getting rid of the all of the stimulus money, what would happen to the stock market? How much of that was like, you know, false sense of security uh, in the stock price? Yeah, and so the one of the bigger headlines, there were several big headlines this week. One of the bigger headlines was the Fed announcing another $10 billion per month reduction of its um, bond buying program. So beginning in February, the monthly bond buying will, will be reduced to $65 billion per month. So we've now for two months in a row seen uh, consecutive $10 billion reductions. And the expectation is that throughout the rest of 2014, at each Fed meeting, they're going to announce similar reductions in the bond buying program until the December meeting when they will cut it off completely. So the the expectation is that by the end of the year, bond buying will be done. Quantitative easing will be finished. No and, more. And um, to use a cliche, I mean, this is where the rubber truly meets the road to figure out how strong is our economy? Is it able to stand on its own? Will it be able to grow and and continue to move forward without the Fed intervening in such a such a major way? I mean, it's been five years of of money being injected, of stimulus, of support of companies that are struggling, and now it's it's time to stand the on the weaning. Yeah. Hey, man, I want you to know that. The feds this week won me two dollars. Initially, it was going to be five dollars, but I had that age-old problem of um, we placed a wager for five dollars. I went to the pocket to get said five dollars and found only two. <laughs> so it then turned to a two-dollar bet because you don't, you can't make a wager with a buddy of yours that you don't have the the clams to lay down on the right there. Your credit the was no good. I mean, I wasn't even going to try. That's poor form. <laughs> so here's the deal. 
I took a, a bet with Bob in our office about tapering. Um, of course, now we know how it all finishes. So you say, oh, that was a dumb bet by Bob. But however, here's here was the deal. The feds were moments away from releasing their statement. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Um, they tapered the first time. Pretty unexpected, I think. In spite of all of the signs and all of the warnings and all of the everything, it was kind of like, whoa, they really did it. Um, so they tapered, took $5 billion um, out of mortgage-backed securities, and they took $5 billion out of the treasuries. $10 billion total um, was kind of like a thunk. Figured out how it worked out. We came to grips with it. Within a week of that, we got that December jobs report. was absolutely terrible. And that was kind of the, the big framework of part of the foundation of why they decided to taper in the first place. Is employment was so good. Um, so they began tapering. Um, then economic news came out for a whole month that made things look not so great. And all of the talk was, did the feds go too quick? Everything seemed to go soft. We started seeing the 10-year yield fell below where it was when they announced tapering. Tapering should have pushed that yield up, but other factors in the economy kept driving it down. So getting ready for their announcement. What do you expect they're going to do? Do they stay the course? I mean, they said it wasn't predetermined and they would only continue to further cut if the economy uh, warranted that action. So there we are. Um, it was kind of a mixed bag. And Bob said, no, nah, I, I don't think they're going to change anything. I don't think they're going to accelerate or decelerate the pace. They're just going to give it another month to see how it's soaking in. And I said, I don't think so. I think they're going to cut it by another $10 billion, and I think that the you know the cuts $5 billion in each and just to show that there's a trajectory and that um, the feds want us to understand that there's a little bit of pain that's going to come along with this um, in spite of some down markets and in spite of some choppy data and in spite of you know, being able to say that it's slowed down housing or whatever, that we're going to have to endure a little bit of the... The retake, the the reset of what it means to be taking eighty five billion dollars a month out of the economy, and they did. So I won two bucks. Cool. It was pretty good. I still have that two bucks in my pocket too, because I didn't spend it on a drink in a disposable container. See. So, anyways, yeah, that was that was big big news. It seemed. Um, and so after that announcement, we've continued to see the. 10-year treasury yield, as well as mortgage rates, continue to push just ever so slightly lower. And I think at the close of the week, the 10-year the treasury note closed right around 2.65%, which is the lowest I've seen it. Man, Six months. It feels yeah, like a long Eight time. Eight months. Probably since June of last year. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, it's it's a nice little bit of relief for those in the mortgage industry. It's, it's, um, Somewhat surprising, considering less less money is being used to purchase these things. There's less of a demand. You would think prices of bonds would go higher with less demand, um, which would push yields right um, yields up. But I don't know. Things aren't happening the way you expect. It's been bizarrely <laughs> disconnected for a while. It's oftentimes you look at it and kind of scratch your head a bit and, and say, why does this defy 
what the the standard relationship usually means. I think I may have maybe not an answer. I have a theory. Yeah? It's not just my theory. It's a th it's something I've been reading about. Okay. So we'll share that after this break. Um, we're at 1021 here. It's time to take the first commercial break of the show to thank our sponsors. Um, do listen to these commercials. They put a lot of thought into these creative ads that you're about to hear. Um, stick around for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical. Like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Thanks much for being with us. It's 1024 here on February 1st. We're pretty excited. Um, lots to talk about. Thrilled about our guest in the second hour, who's our county tax assessor, Tom Bordenar, Jr. Um, I I'm always impressed that this dude takes time on a Saturday to call in and um, and do the segment with us to uh, I think his office in general has a, a very approachable interactive element to them and um, as far as as far as a, a tax entity part of it um, 
Feels okay. Usually taxes get get me pretty fired up pretty quick. But maybe it's just because he's such a nice guy and the office is staff's all nice too. Um, Dan, before we left for the break, you were teasing that you had a little bit of a theory here about uh, what's going on. <laughs> right. We were talking about the the latest Fed meeting, which is actually Ben Bernanke's final um, final policy statement as the Fed chairman the next next. By time. the way, do you think he did a good job? During his tenure? Yeah. I think he I mean it's hard to say. I I don't I, I don't even know how to begin to evaluate it. it would, these are like some pretty unprecedented times that he while he was in charge of the Fed and I I think history will will be will tell. Will, will tell. I think we need a little more time to pass to be able to reflect on on this period of time and see how he navigated us through this. Um, I think it's too soon to say. Yeah. Right. Uh, so anyways, yes, it was his final policy statement. Next time we hear from the Fed, we'll be hearing from the new chairman, Janet Yellen. Um, Applause button. Changing of the guard at the Fed. Um, also the first female Fed chairman. So exciting times at the Fed. Um, so we learned about the second consecutive $10 billion reduction to Fed buying yet we're seeing um bond yields decline which is kind of counterintuitive to the the news when you find that um, that 20 billion dollars of of purchasing power is gone um and the yield falls and the yield falls yield falls when prices go higher and prices go higher when when it's basically a feeding frenzy right. everybody wants it so you can sell it for more and then pay less by way of dividend, a lower yield, because people are lining themselves up to buy you, right? So then in the flip side of the coin, when nobody's out front of your bond stand and you're like, hey, everybody, I have good bonds over here, um, you discount the price like crazy and then offer a really high yield to get people to, to move over from the the Dow truck stand next to you, right? So the funny thing is here you've got $20 billion getting zapped out of the market and you see the yield falling. Why? Kind of surprising. The, the theory here is that we're in such a global market. I mean, money is flowing i mean you can't just think of in the investment community as as the the wall street crew right. it's it's a global market truly is and so we've seen so much money flooding into emerging markets looking for opportunity looking for growth looking for higher yield on money and now that the fed is poised to exit this this bond buying market completely through the end of the, this year the thought is that money is going to now flow out of emerging markets and back into the U.S. because the U.S. is still perceived to be the best opportunity. Um, all things being equal, you know, just letting markets stand on their own, the U.S. is still believed to be the best investment opportunity. So now that things do appear that they're returning to to normal and that the Fed's not injecting money um, – that that that's why we're seeing money flowing out of oh, emerging markets back into the U.S. driving and confidence so, up so around the world. So some of that money, for the time being, is coming into bonds. 
um, probably won't stay there very long. I think still the the longer term um, forecast for for bond rates is to move higher. Uh, that that's a given. But in the in the short term here, we've seen money flow out of those emerging markets and into bonds. Um, they're certainly not flowing into stocks, as you could see by January. January is, was pretty terrible for stocks. Another interesting little fact that I'll throw out there is that um, when January, when the Dow is down in January, 75% of the time it finishes the year down. Yeah, what's that saying um, Eccles used to have? It was like... Oh, sell in May and go away. Yeah, so do only business in this first part of the year where it's strong and there's well, optimism and there the, another saying has popped up at, at the conclusion of january at, um as january goes so goes the year or oh. something like that so um the odds are that the the year will finish down so we'll, we'll see how that plays out we've got 11 more months to go um so anyways that's i think we've uh We've covered that. You know, another little piece of that, though, is that um, there has been data around the global economy suggests that things aren't so hot in some places. You know, China's captured headlines for a couple of weeks in a row now that their manufacturing numbers are down, um, PMI slipping to a six-month low, um, and suggesting that because China's economy is so much in, in manufacturing and exporting, that it creates a drag on markets everywhere. It, it sort of indicates that when they, they're a leading indicator, when they slow down, that the overall kind of climate for businesses is decreasing globally. And that also would generally drive some of those investments from riskier type of um, equity positions over into like a treasury position like this into the bond market. So, you know, maybe that has a little bit of something to do with it. It's probably a perfect storm of all of these things, frankly. Um, and yeah, you hit the nail on the head, though. At the end of the day, the U.S. is is still perceived as a very strong economy um, where the the yield can be nice and low because the risk really is, too. On the China front, I, I did hear um, some forecasts for China's GDP for this coming year or this this year um, to be between zero and three percent, which was kind of shocking because for the past few years, I mean, I don't know how it actually played out. I haven't seen final statistics, but I think China was in the seven to nine percent GDP growth annually. So kind of shocking to see them coming down to to our territory here, the three percent. Great mention of GDP, by the way, because um, I I noted here um, that GDP was coming out this week. I had it in my note sheet all week long. Couldn't wait to see it come out. And um, man, wasn't it kind of under celebrated? Um, I didn't see GDP splashing the headlines all over the place this week. Um, it's the first look and initial reading, but a great indicator of. Um, you know, what we should expect in terms of how the country's doing and producing. Uh, wild. The Dow still down um, and not capturing much headline at all. First quarter, or I'm sorry, quarter four GDP was expected at 3.3%. Remember that quarter three was just over 4%. That was a kind of gangbusters. A good reason to cite that the feds might 
um, lean towards tapering, right? I mean, 4% GDP is a, is a nice clip for us. Um, it, this GDP reading came out at 3.2%. Uh, that's still pretty strong. The projected number is usually 3.5, right? I mean, is that right? Is it three or 3.5? The, the target is for 3% growth. Okay. Um, and I think, I think the, the 4% number that you're talking about, I think that was the initial reading for fourth quarter, and this is the second reading for fourth quarter. Um, I think the first three quarters of the year weren't as good. Am I wrong on that? I wrote down that it was 4.1 in Q3. Hmm. I'll, I'll look it up while okay. you... Um... So, yeah, that, that was a very strong number to have the reading come out at 3.2% annual growth. It's actually slightly above our target, and it really helped close out and otherwise... I, I'm going to just say a bad year on a positive note with that strong fourth quarter number for the entire year of 2013, we saw um, a 1.9% growth for the year. So that fourth quarter really helped bump us up um, considerably still a pretty, a pretty overall weak number for the year, unfortunately at 1.9%, but a strong fourth quarter um, gives us hope. And to go along with that, we're seeing um, good consumer confidence. American consumer confidence is up. Um, and a big reason for that GDP being so high and probably reflecting consumer confidence numbers is that the consumer is out spending money um, at a, at a pretty good clip. And it's not just here in our country, it's globally. Um, in our country, I think the annual consumer spending numbers were up 3.3% for the year and globally up 5.4% for the year. So consumers worldwide are, are out spending at a faster pace than they were in, in the previous year. And that's a good a good thing, especially here in the U.S., where consumer spending makes up seventy percent of our GDP. So, I pulled up another news source just to make sure that I, in fact, had written it down correctly. Um, Q three was, in fact, four point one at the final reading. Okay, so it's um, a strong closeout half of the year, but still that made up for a pretty bad first right. half of the year. Yeah, and and this. Um, it, it is it is particularly interesting about the GDP, though, in terms of the year. It's funny. What, I was um, doing a presentation this week, and I shared with them that so many of the headlines that we're seeing right now, oh, you know, existing home sales are down. But, hey, 2013 was a bang-up year. Volume's down. But, hey, year over year, you know, it's still doing better than it was in the previous year. So there's all this stuff that sort of like shows that things are slowing down a little bit, but we're really quick to add like a tagline on the back of it that says something about, hey, but don't forget recent history here suggested that this stuff's all in pretty good shape. So it's it's kind of alarming um, just to see the trend turning that way. In terms of the GDP, um, Ian Shepardson, who's uh, at Pantheon Macro Macroeconomics, he he made kind of a, an interesting statement here. So there's no headline shock in the reading, but the details are startling. 
Residential construction plunged at a 9.8% annualized rate after five straight double-digit gains. This suggests that the BEA has assumed a hefty drop in December, presumably due to the severe weather. By contrast, inventories rose faster than in Q3, contributing to 0.4 to GDP growth. This is unsustainable, as is the 1.3 contribution from foreign trade, and both will be much weaker in Q1. So this suggests that growing inventories, because of foul weather and not actually selling the stuff, has kind of, um, in a in a deceiving way, made the GDP appear perhaps a little bit stronger than it was, and that we should expect then a, Q, a Q1 reading this year to show GDP struggling along. And um, I think there was a similar message for the third quarter of 2013, that a lot of the growth had to do with um, businesses growing stockpiles right. in anticipation of, of sales. So... Those things aren't, I mean, we have to see the consumer rise up now and buy the product for businesses to then it, replenish stockpiles again. So it's something, if, if the consumer doesn't show up, it's truly going to be a, a down quarter one reading. So <laughs> it'll be interesting. So but... go open a new credit card and get out there and run that puppy up. <laughs> we need you. And I mean, so far, the numbers for consumer spending are pretty strong. You know, we came off of a, a retail season and, you know, I'm still confused because a lot of the anecdotal retail stuff th for the holiday season sounded down, but the numbers suggest otherwise. Uh, I mean, we're seeing a 3.3% increase for the year seems pretty good. Was me, it harder I, to track and tally this year because of the way the money was spent? That's the only thing I can think is that consumer spending is the way con consumers are buying goods is changing with so much of it but, being online. But now. this week I read that Amazon missed their earnings expectations, um, fell short, not by a huge amount, but I kind of felt... I don't know. For some reason this year, I was believing more in Amazon than ever before. It seemed like more people I talked to were shopping online for things. And Amazon is just, it's a, it's such a convenient, easy way to buy something um, or even just to price something. Uh, I, I was the other day I was uh, at one of the local big box stores and it was, I was looking for something, couldn't quite figure it out, got out my phone, opened up my Amazon app. I scanned a barcode on an item that was in my hand, pulled it up on Amazon, and I saw like the options. And, and mainly, you know what I was after? The reviews. I'm holding this product in my hand. I says, is this any good? I'm going to go read the reviews. I've come to trust the reviews of, of the, the peers online that have bought the same product. When you see... 6,000 reviews and it's four and a half stars. You go read them there. It, that's a good product. You kind of have some confidence in it. I I now kind of feel like I need that when I'm like trying to make a decision between two products that are at a similar price point. I need that peer review part. I thought Amazon was going to just blow up and, and beat expectations and really grab headlines. It shocked me that they didn't. What do you make of that? I don't have a lot to add there. Yeah, I was kind of surprised too. I, I heard a lot of banter about Amazon and why maybe 
Uh, in particular, the stock price really fell. I think it had more to do – their stock fell 10% on Friday, and it has more to do with um, – the the price to earnings ratio versus Which the actual to, revenue right and to me suggests that a lot of people bought where the price to earnings ratio may have been um not the primary deciding factor but just were like excited about it it's the holiday season people are moving in that direction it's a really efficient effective way to shop yada 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 and then hey here's some sobering news for you um as great as you all made it sound it's it's still not worth the hype basically i i mean that that was how i took it anyway there there's a lot more that i want to talk about this hour um three numbers uh in terms of uh housing data that we can chop through we do need to do this commercial break here since we have paying sponsors so we'll thank you for sticking around you're listening to mortgage matters mortgage matters with host dan and jason will be right back join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832 we're the mortgage experts on the central coast Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. We're sitting here 
Uh, <laughs> we're sitting here during the break talking about... Um, Geeking out on stock talk. Yeah, the stock stuff is just so funny. Um, there's been all these fun little picks, and Dan and I have like a little fun money account that we like to put in and out of the market, and, and there's been... We run scared way too often. Yeah. Definitely. That's that's why I'm not a, a, a stock trader. I, I don't have the courage to make these you know, bold picks. It's funny. Um, I mean, we have investment accounts. I think most people have some kind of investment account that's like in it's it's managed generally in a fund or something where your idea is like you're not going to be allowed to mess this up. Right. You're not going to take the whole thing and put it into Intel or something. <laughs> we then have this little fun money that it's like fun to push some money around with. And, and initially, I think it started because in paying such a close attention to the financial market in terms of the actual like bank stocks and stuff, started to say, hey, some of this stuff's crazy undervalued. And we should we should put some money in there and just buy it because it's crazy how undervalued it is. And I remember when we bought um, some city stock and not a ton of it, but it was down a couple bucks a share. It was yeah, it was just under two dollars a share, and immediately upon and buying a, it, there was it a, fell to a dollar a share. And it, but then <laughs> but shortly thereafter, there was a Saudi sheik or something that came and dropped. What was it? it was, what, Lots of money. Ins- Let's talk about that just for a quick second. <laughs> quick second. That dude dropped like, um, what was it? A, a half a billion or a billion dollars? Yeah, for some reason, the B word pops to mind. I think it was, a, was a lot dollars. of money. Anyway, that stupid stock went from $4 a share to like 50 bucks a share now. It's outrageous. If that dude had that billion dollars in there at 2 bucks a share now at 50 holy smokes. Yeah. You made a you made a call to buy Netflix when it was at twenty dollars and and we didn't. Oh, I, <laughs> and now it's at four hundred dollars. I know. Well, you. The funny thing is, is I spent six months thinking that you had bought it because I just sent over like the buy order to you. Hey, go buy these three stocks. And this isn't, this isn't a, a trading. But business. it was. But it was. It was Netflix back then. Um, that. Pacific something steel company, which I haven't looked up recently. And then the third one was American Express because they were trading at some ridiculous amount of money. I forget if it was 27, I think it was $27 a share or something at the time, um, which is at $85 a share now. Just kind of funny. Um, we bought a, we bought an led light company at $35 and it, lost half of its value like in the next week and we we stressed about it for a month as it got back up to value and we sold it at like two weeks before it then doubled in value so yeah stocks aren't our thing we're <laughs> no good at <laughs> it much happier doing mortgage much happier however <laughs> if you just if you just bought what we alleged to have bought or said to buy you oh, would, you could be, you be retired yeah yeah, yeah. it's kind of funny <laughs> but but it is actually resulted like in a minimal gain for us yeah it's Good it's times. funny it's more than just knowing what to buy it's the timing of when to buy and when to sell too sure anyways let's get back to stuff we know about let's talk about real estate okay i'm interested in talking about that too a lot of numbers came out we had Oh, we start had, with the good ones. Start with the good ones. Okay. Um, let's talk about 
Yeah, just pick a, any good one. Pick <laughs> a really, them, pick a good one, and just go with it. None of really good, actually. Come on, pick well, meat prices. Pri- okay, well, okay. Even <laughs> no, nope. nationally. All right, all right. Pick a mediocre one. <laughs> pick, there's no good ones. Just like pick, pick a mediocre Let's, one. I'm gonna start with one, and we'll go from there. We're okay, gonna start right. with the S and P Case Shiller Home Price Index. Probably the most watched of the four or five different indices Time. of prices out there. Yes. Time out. Just a quick reminder. I'm doing the pessimist thing right now, as you can tell. I just want to remind everybody, Case and Schiller is a two-month lag. Right, I know. We're, okay, doing, we're okay. looking at the Tell us the good news. The November Tell numbers. us about November. Uh, the 20-city index fell 0.1%. Hmm. It fell In November? 0.1% from October to November. Man. Um, it's not gotten any easier since November, though. I doubt it because we've seen sales decline. The number of y- units sold has has really gone down. But that generally, I don't know. I I have a lot of local local numbers which are actually pretty positive when it comes to I'm gonna do that prices. I'm gonna do that thing I was telling you about earlier. The pessimist thing. No. Oh, uh, what thing? Compared to November of 2012, though, home prices are up 7.6 percent. There you go. And that's really the more important Only number. Only 8.9% below their peak of um, April 2007. That's the more telling number is the seasonal, the year-over-year price price see, changes. See how I did that, though? Take a little bit of bad news or a little bit of soft news and then remind you that there's a total silver lining to it. It, it is, It's just funny to me that we're kind of doing this thing where everything's got this little tag about how it, it was better. But at the same time, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. We have, I think most of us are hoping for a stable market um, where we don't have 12% appreciation a year. 12? We're, we've been seeing 20. Yeah. We, 20% and we don't in California, anyway. And we the, don't want that. The national numbers are are a little more modest compared to what we're seeing in the state and in our county, which is closer to 20% home values. That's so, yeah, Case Shiller lags a lot. The existing home sales came out this week. So these are previously um, occupied or previously owned homes. Uh, it's not including any newly constructed homes. Um, they rose by 1%. And that's not bad news. Um, an, an annual rate of 4.87 million units sold. Uh, they say that this number, though, it, the sales pace is slower than what economists forecast. So in this case, the number itself just is below expectations or forecast, but it's actually still positive, um, seeing that people are, are transacting and selling their home. Only suggests to me that they're able to buy... Um, a move-up home or some replacement property has them feeling confident about ability to to sell and buy. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. The end of that little piece, though, does say that sales in 2013, those were the highest since 2006. Prices increased 11.5%, and that was the biggest advance since 2005. Huh? So those are existing home sales? Yeah. So then we had new home sales. Right. New home sales fell 7%. Ooh, and what? Are, that's shocking, right? Yeah. 
Because these are these are constructed. I mean, we last week we reported that permits and housing starts were waffling. So home builder maybe losing a little bit of confidence. Hard to say. But now we get this kind of gauge on how's it being received by the consumer. Are we gobbling up all of the new the newly constructed homes? As are these the cat's meow? Um, they dropped seven percent in the month of December. Again, scapegoating cold weather. Yeah, it's hard for people to get out and shop. Yada yada. Follows a four percent decline in November. So we've had two consecutive months where new home sales have declined. But I think that is, I think in this case, the weather probably does play a factor. A lot of bad economic data gets scapegoated on weather all yeah, too and, often. And I think this one actually makes a little sense. And before you fret and um, lay awake tonight, you should know that in the entire year then, because that was a, that's a December reading. So going back over the course of all of 13 Builders sold 428,000 new homes, which you should feel good about because that's 16% better than the previous year. It's the highest number since 2008, but it's about one-third of the number of sales from the peak of 1.28 million in 2005. So new home sales are still just a fraction of what they once were. And I thought that that I thought that we were all good. I mean, were were we all good until the Fed started taking away our lunch ticket here with the taper? Feels like a wet blanket or something. It stuff has slowed down. Stuff has slowed down, but it seems to me that it's a, a necessary pain that we have to go through. And now we have pending home sales. Pending home sales are a leading indicator. These are homes that have entered into contract but have not yet sold. Um, and for the seventh month in a row, the number has declined. Hey, wait. Seven months. Carry the one. Hey, since June? When Taper Talk started? Okay. Yep. That's when rates popped about 1% and affected people's purchasing power. It definitely cooled the market. It slowed down the the sense of urgency of the home buyer um so yeah seven months in a row pending home sales down i want to turn this talk a little more local here um look at our county i think the the numbers are are much different well kind of sort of the units are down units were down um year over year almost 13 percent for the month of December, there were 292 homes sold, um, which was down uh, down about 13% from, from December 2012. The median price, however, was up nearly 20%. The median price in December was up to 465500 in December. The 20th consecutive month in which the median home price had increased year over year. You know what we need to accompany that little data set you just gave us? We need to know months of inventory. Because I read that and I say, it's not surprising to me. For what, you know, and we're pretty well plugged into the local real estate economy. Um, there's still multiple offers on a property. And it doesn't necessarily get strategic 
snatched up in the first day anymore. But if you bring a property to market that's fairly priced, it's going to create a little bit of action. The reality is there's just not enough homes available for sale. Um, so I expect to see volume decline a little bit like this, especially since the banks and the short sales and the REOs and all that have slowed down. But to keep it in context, though, it'd be nice to know um, how much inventory there is. And at this current rate, how long would it take before we sold through it all? Well, and I think it, it varies by city in our county. Sure. Um, Countywide, I think the last time Wes from Patterson Realty provided us that number, it was around four months, yeah. four months of inventory. But I don't think that even tells the real picture because let me ask you a question. Yeah. How many buyers are you currently working with that are pre-qualified looking for homes? Just me personally? Just you personally. Um, you showed me the list the other day. To put it into some context. Just a ballpark yeah. figure. 18. 18. That can't find a home. That are pre-qualified. I mean, they're shopping. There. They're going around. I guess what I'm getting at is I think a lot of the homes that are out there are some of the ones that have been out there. The ones that are new to the market that are at a Agreed. at an appropriate price go so quickly. Yeah, and you know, it it's still true today, but even a year ago when things were a big frenzy. I'd oftentimes have multiple clients asking for a letter of pre-qualification on the same property, intending to offer for the same the same property. And it's I see that still today. When a new listing comes on, you know, in San Luis Obispo for five hundred and fifty thousand dollars, there are people that I know are gonna call me that day. And they're going to go look at it and, and they're crafting their plan. They wanna know what the interest rate is, what's the payment, how's the market changed a little bit, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I do, I think it would be, it. I, some of the housing stock is always stale. Yeah. It, there's stuff that's overpriced, unreasonable terms or... I believe for a new property that's coming onto market that's priced reasonably, there's, there's a demand for that property that's going to have it sold in, in less than two weeks. Yeah. I think you're right about that. If you if you do it right, it's a, it's quick. And in 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 a price range too, we're talking right now price stuff less than 750 grand. Sure. You get up over that and that does take a little bit different kind of buyer. Um Oh man, there's so much I wanted to say that we we're not going to make it through before we have Tom on the show. So, um we're getting ready to do the commercial break. I want to invite you guys to stay tuned. We're super excited about having the county's tax assessor on the show. Um, hey, this is for you guys to call and ask your questions. 543-8830. Get the pencils down and ready. 543-8830. Stick around after this break for more Mortgage Matters. Everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. It's five after eleven. Thanks for listening. Listen to Jason Grody and Dan Podesto. We are the owners, operators of Central Coast Lending, and the hosts of this show for like five years running or something. Excited today to have uh, Tom Bordenaro on the show. He's the county tax assessor, and his name pops up on a lot of documents uh, that we know of. Um, 
Good morning, Tom. Are you there? Tim. Hey there. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. You bet. Well, thanks for inviting me. I think it's the third time we've had you now, huh? Yeah, it's only three times. What's up? <laughs> Maybe we should do it a little bit more. You know, I'm 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 surely all for that. It's funny. I was thinking about our last conversation and and trying to figure out um, how things have changed from then to now. And uh, does it sound funny? Tom, do you have your radio on? No. Okay. okay. No, it's maybe not it's me. us. It's probably just something in the headphones here. But uh, yeah, so last time we talked, we were in this position where um, home values had declined pretty largely um, right. everywhere, and we were going through and reducing people's uh, tax basis in their property, like kind of a temporary reduction. Correct. There was a game plan to work through. Um, all of the properties and get everything up to snuff and kind of um, I think the the tone last time was that um, with so many struggling households and so much work to do you guys did such a good job but just trying to bring help to people that were pinched and feeling like their assessment wasn't a fair representation of what their properties worth and it feels to me like my would have changed to to today it's definitely um a different environment we at one point um we actually had around uh i want to say it was almost 40 percent of all parcels that had been reduced under a decline in value or a prop eight uh, that their market value was lower than what their prop 13 value was um, almost 51,000 parcels out of our 137,000 parcels in the county uh, were under a, uh, a decline in value. And that was that equated over $5 billion worth in value reductions that we have uh, written down um, at the assessor's office since the bottom of the market in, uh, or excuse me, since the peak of the market in 2006. Um, so, and, and in the la last year, and then uh, when I say last year, 2012, I know we're just now in 2014, but I still think of last year, 2012. Um, 2012, we started to see, you know, a market recovery, kind of gentle, maybe tentative in some places. Uh, but in 2013, you know, the market is is pretty much uh, coming back. It's not roaring back like a lion. It's, it's kind of like a lamb, and, and we're starting to restore um, some of those values, about $500 million, uh, in 2013. Uh, in uh, excuse me, in 2013, were restored um, out of that over five billion. So it definitely has turned around. Okay, yeah. So that was going to be one of my next questions. Is I know that you know every seems like most people understand that Prop 13 sets your tax value and then and then limits how how much it can increase every year. Correct. It, uh, it you know Prop 13 was a result of a voter. Um, revolution so to speak back in 1978 that rolled all the values back to a 1975 um, base and it locked it in and said the tax rate will never be uh, more than one percent it will actually the tax rate will be one percent and then you add an inflation factor every year not to exceed two percent um, and there, the only time an assessment can be changed is uh, for a change in an ownership or new construction of course as defined, they had you know further define those. Um, so that locked in a tax base, and that's great when the market's going up for the homeowner. 
because you know you're limited to that inflation factor of no more than 2%. Um, and, you know, a couple times in the history of California, we've seen the market drop, um, which is where the decline in value then um, was finally passed. Again, in 1978, a Proposition 8 was passed, um, which said, wait a minute, if the market drops, then you, you get the lesser uh, uh, of the two of the two assessments. So it's, it, you know, it's good for the homeowner, um, provides some surety, uh, and, um, you know, we're starting to, and again, people reap those benefits during the down market, and the market's coming back, and I think everybody's happy about that because, uh, you know, we all like to have equity in our homes. Makes you sleep a little bit better. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and just in, in terms of that Prop 8, Let's just say hypothetically that you bought a house for four hundred thousand dollars and you're assessed at four hundred thousand dollars, and then a couple years into it, now your house is worth three hundred, and so Prop Eight allowed you to be reassessed, then ultimately have your tax base lowered to that new three hundred thousand dollar market value, and then um, and and I think this happened in parts around the county in the last year and a half or so that that home regained what it lost, that it's right. that it's back. And in that case, you don't get, it's not like 300,000 becomes your new basis and you could only go up 2% a year from there. There's literally no, um, no mechanism in place to keep it from rebounding to what it truly was originally under the Prop 13 amount. And so some people might be experiencing a pretty big increase in their property taxes in, in year over year, right? If they got Prop 8 down. That is, that's correct. And um, you're not limited to the maximum of 2% because what it is is when you're under the Prop 13 number, so you bought it at 400000 the market's increasing, and the inflation factor is added up to 2% a year, um, that is your, that's always going to be your ceiling. When the market crashed, we lowered the values. So as you, in your example, at 300000 you reap the benefits of that. But as that market comes back, if the market comes back at 8%, 10%, 12%, then we have to, under the law, on a year-to-year -year basis, as of January 1, bring that value up to the market value, but still not to exceed what it would have been under Prop 13. So while you're still underneath that 400,000-plus inflation factor number, um, you could see jumps more than 2%. Until it hits where it would have been if the market had never dropped. So, in fact, what we have to do is track two numbers at the assessor's office. We track what it would have been under your Prop 13 value, and we track the market value. Um, and you receive the lower of those two um, until, again, it hits that ceiling. Uh, and then we we can put it in a category where it's just going to be uh, we're adding the uh, uh, the up to two percent every year. Uh, do you have an idea or, or an approximate figure about how many homeowners locally are still being assessed at something less than their their purchase price value? You know, I don't have a number, but I can tell you that um, the vast majority are still under what their Prop 13 value would have been. Um, we, we did start restoring values. I don't believe we restored um, any values 100%. Um, we just didn't see the market come back in 2012, you know, uh, that quickly. Like I said, it came back like a, it's coming back like a lamb, not a lion. So um, I believe that there probably are very few homes that have been fully restored to date. Um, and, and I believe with the market is the way it's going, because 
we saw some homes. I mean, we're talking about 50% or more over the period down downturn of the of the market, um, and it's going to take a while if you're coming back at eight, ten percent a year to get back up to where it would have been. Right. So I, I don't believe there's anybody out there that was fully restored. There may be um, some, you know, some properties we saw, uh, for instance, um, you know, coastal, you know, ocean view, like right on the water homes. Um, their values stayed higher longer than most homes in the county and when they dropped they just suddenly plummeted um and then when they came back they're coming back at a much quicker rate so those kind of high-end homes will be the ones that um if these trends continue would be restored uh quicker versus um you know um your average your average uh, residential you know inland property Paso Robles, Napomo, or, you know, any, anywhere inland along the coast where you don't have extremely high, high values. The high values stayed high longer. They dropped percentage-wise further, but they're coming back, coming back faster. Hmm. Darn those rich people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I had a question for you that I was interested in. Um, well, I have several, but my first one is... We're always, we always seem to have people that are kind of shocked by, um, they buy a house and on underwriting wise, we use one and a quarter percent because, mm -hmm. and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I tell people that this is the state maximum that somebody could be assessed. Is that true? Well, it, the 1% is the maximum for, and that's, that's statewide. Everyone pays a 1% tax rate. The one and a quarter, the other quarter percent depends on your local bonded indebtedness. Okay. So the tax rate is always 1%, but that additional um, rate, which, you know, look, if I'm paying one and a quarter percent, I don't care if it's the tax rate technically or if it's bonded right. indebtedness. <laughs> it's still a one and a quarter percent out of my pocket, right? So, right. Um, but that, that quarter percent is a very good number to use. Um, I don't believe there, I mean, it, it, it's it's got a little bit of a cushion in there for some areas because, they're less than a quarter percent. So, um, you know, one and a quarter percent is kind of a general rule that we use. I don't think there's any tax um, areas in the county that are more than that um, anymore. Um, so, um, but that quarter percent varies from tax rate area to tax rate order. But so, the one percent stays the same everywhere. Yeah. So, so we use one and a quarter, and it was it's an underwriting measure. It's kind of the worst case scenario assessment that one might receive, um, you know, in terms of making sure you could afford the debt. Correct. And so, what happens is you buy a house at any point during the year. It doesn't really matter when you buy it. And initially, the previous owner is the, the tax rate that's on the property. And it's known that when it gets reassessed, the new owner is gonna be responsible for the prorated difference, which I believe is called supplemental taxes when they come out, when you right. finally get caught up and around to it. And then um, from that point forward, the new owner gets assessed on the new tax year and his tax bill then is accurate. This causes people quite a bit of grief when they get either a, a tax bill that's significantly less than what they're paying on their mortgage statements, we have to explain it, or they get a supplemental tax bill um, and they're 
particularly confounded by it when they didn't set up an escrow account to pay the taxes and the insurance. So I'm curious from you in terms of like timing wise, how long do people get that supplemental bill for? And depending on when you buy the home in the course of the year, how long does it take before the assessment is updated and accurate? That, you know, that, that is probably um, uh, uh, the hardest question to answer. Okay. Um, supplemental assessments came in in 1983, and it was designed, you know, to increase the equity amongst taxpayers um, and actually provide additional revenue for schools um, because, you know, 60, almost 64% of the tax dollars in San Luis Obispo County goes to our school districts. Um, and it is an, a unique and separate role, um, and it does for those change in ownerships and new construction, um, it is a catch-up bill. So it depends because um, January 1st is what we call lien date. That's when everything is accessible. Um, but the fiscal year is from July 1st to June 30th. So depending on when you um, purchase your home or you, uh, you, know, you complete your construction or whenever we are going out there for the reassessment, um, because you could get two bills, one for the period of time that would cover January 1 to June 30th, and another one <clears throat> to catch you up for the next year. Um, or you could get several bills because let's say, um, uh, let's say somebody purchased a home on January 2nd. Um, they, they remodeled it, you know, and they flipped it before June 30th, and then they resold it, and as you're the purchaser on the resale, um, you could get four or five supplemental bills, depending on, again, when you bought it. Um, and they don't necessarily all have to come at the same time. So it's, it's really, you can imagine when someone comes into our office and they've got, you know, four or five supplemental bills in the hand and they want to know what the heck is going on. Um, and it, it unfortunately um, is, I tell you what, if there's one thing I could eliminate as the assessor, it would be supplemental bills because they drive us crazy too because our system is such that if, let's again, let's use a January 2nd, Someone buys a home, and let's say they flip it in May. We may not have gotten to the January 2nd work before the May work comes in, so we have to cancel the old bill, redo it, and so sometimes it can take six or eight months. When I came into office, it was about 14 months in some cases to get supplemental bills out to people, which by then you've forgotten most, you know, that you even had a supplemental bill coming. Um, I'm sure somebody told you about it, but you, you don't remember. I wouldn't remember. Um, we managed to move that back to about a six-month, um, and that's kind of our best-case scenario right now. It takes us about six months to get the supplemental bills out. Um, we are trying to, uh, to make further improvements in that, um, but, and it's, it's relatively technical, um, and I, I don't want to go through it all here because I'd put everyone out there to sleep who's listening. But um, it definitely is something that, you know, causes quite a bit of consternation with the homeowner um, and with our office. It's the number one it's the number one issue that we deal with with the public just trying to explain what those supplemental assessments are. Um, so you can see that in a hot market, you know, a, a property may sell three or four times in a single year. Um, and so it can create, each one of those can create two bills itself. And then by the time we get them out, they're, you know, uh, the people have gone, they've moved out, and then the new owner doesn't know what to do with it, you know, if they ended up getting it. 
it's extremely confusing, but it is, it's just a part of life, and we just have to deal with it as best we can. So on, on that same topic, I'm curious if a buyer of a property is purchasing a home for less than the the seller's prop 13 base or their prop 8 base if the property was assessed downward if if they're buying it for even less than that how does the supplemental tax process work in that case well it works the same way we just call them negative supplemental so you would actually get a uh, a negative bill um so to speak to adjust downward and then they would get a refund if they had to pay so if they were paying um, a higher tax uh, and we were lowering it and locking in that lower base, you'd get a negative supplemental, and then they would get a refund. And those are the ones that uh, are really irritating to people if we can't get them to them timely because they're putting cash out and then, you know, trusting the government to give it back to them, <laughs> um, which is always, you know, it's always a leap in faith. No one wants to let somebody else hold money that they, you know, don't feel is the right thing to do. And they shouldn't like it. And we try to move those along as quickly as we can. Um, And sometimes, unfortunately, you know, because maybe then um, I just I have a case we're working with right now trying to move it forward where uh, this exact same thing happened. um, And he was uh, this was a person in the middle. So he purchased the home, fixed it up and resold it. Uh, and so he's already already out the taxes. He no longer owns a home, um, and he's waiting for his supplemental bill to come through, and the new owners turned around and sold it. Um, so we're having to cancel the new, owners, uh, the new owner's supplemental and redo that. Until we do that, we can't get him the supplemental bill that would lower it to qualify him for a refund. So... Um, yeah, they're a headache. I don't like them. <laughs> yeah, it causes a lot of strife, and it seems like, and you hit it on the head, you know, we tell clients that you're going to get a supplemental tax bill, and um, they end up, by the time it actually comes, they have no recollection of what they were told about what to do with it. They're just in a total panic. I Surely I can't owe more money. And it's like, well... Not only do you owe more money, but this is going to be the norm now of kind of what you're going to owe going forward. And it stresses people out to think that it's like their mortgage going up. I didn't get an adjustable rate loan, but, you know, now I'm upset that I have to pay more. Right, right. And and I don't blame them. But, I mean, you know, again, it's it's I mean, the best thing to do um, is to talk to our office. We can walk you through it. We can. You know, we can provide sometimes a little more, um, uh, you know, shorty if we are able to talk to people uh, and they, they kind of know what's going to happen. If it's an open market transaction, so you've got willing buyer, willing seller, uh, you know, the definition of uh, market value, most likely what you purchase the home for is going to be your assessment. Um, you know, we can approximate what the supplementals are. And then, I, you know, when you set up those escrow accounts, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you do the same thing when you set up an escrow account. You kind of know what they're going to be. So you can set it up so that, you know, in most cases, um, there's enough funds there's to cover enough it. Funds. Yeah. You know, and we the do trick, that. The trick gets, the trick gets if, you're, if you're not buying something that's an open market transaction. And I'll give you an example. Somebody uh, sells their brother their home for, you know, 300000 the home's worth 400000 
Uh, and so they're count, you know, they, they believe that they're going to get $300,000 as their assessed value. Well, under the law, we can't give them the 300000 We have to assess it at 400000 It's the market value, not the selling price. So that's the only time that it gets a little bit, a little bit dicey um, where people, you know, should be, um, I guess, caught by surprise. Otherwise, if it's, like I said, an open market transaction uh, and everyone is, uh, the surety should be there. When, when, there, when that supplemental bill is produced and sent to the homeowner, if that homeowner has that escrow account set up to, to you know, account for their taxes and, and insurance, is it expected that the mortgage company is going to pay that supplemental bill or that the homeowner is going to be paying that supplemental bill? You know, I don't, uh, I don't have a pat answer for you on that. I believe that in most cases, um, and you guys may know better than I do, but um, I believe that um, the mortgage company will take care of those if it's set up that way, which I think that's the norm. Yeah, yeah. we're usually collecting at that one and a quarter percent, that worst right. case rate. So there, sh- in theory, should be enough money in the account. This is a fun piece of trivia, actually. Um, if you asked most loan officers what the tax service fee is for on their closing documents, most do not know. Um, and it's a two-part thing. It's it's function primarily. And by the way, this is on every loan you're going to get in any company in California. They've got a tax service fee on there. And it ranges from usually 5 to $20, depending uh, but they pay a third-party service to monitor the tax bills and make sure that the uh, any supplementals or or whatever are the the banks aware of it and can deal with it accordingly. Um, and it also makes the servicer aware on loans that are not impounded if the um, the taxes go delinquent, right? Because mm-hmm. because that was a big deal for these banks that were dealing with foreclosures and short sales and stuff. They stepped forward to learn that not only have they not received the mortgage payment in over a year, but that the property taxes sometimes haven't been paid in a couple of years. And so that that tax service fee is a third-party service that monitors those things. Um, so that's kind of cool. To my knowledge, the, the servicer that actually holds that escrow account is responsible for paying the supplemental taxes. But it's always kind of scary because the you don't. It feels like there's not great correspondence then. Like I I get my mortgage statement and it tells me, you know, what went to interest, what went to principal, what went to my impound account, and then whether anything was dispersed, right? And then it'll give me a, a summary of what was dispersed. But it'd be like more helpful for me if they gave me like a copy of the bill and said, this is what we paid for this period where it just made more sense. I feel even me being an expert in this field that I'm kind of relying on faith that um, I pay my part each month and that the people in the downline are going to do what they're expected to do, too. And that's a little bit unnerving, you know. Well, I imagine it can be. And, and, you know, but again, I don't. I think people, most people, um, in with an impound account, um, you know, are 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 protected. I mean, there's oodles and scads of laws and regulators that that's what they're supposed to be doing. Of course, we saw, you know, we've seen that fail in the past too. But it sure, it, it, it at least it gives you some level of surety instead of those that uh, uh, do not have impound accounts. That that to me would be a lot scarier from with my home. 
Yeah, definitely. And the the tax penalties are are not necessarily slim. I mean, it, to my knowledge, it's like ten percent. Yeah, they late. can be substantial, and it is compounded at ten percent, and then there's interest. So there's a penalty of ten percent, and then interest on that on that total amount. So um, it can escalate pretty quick. It's not, you know, I, I someone told me one time. Well, you know, uh, I can't afford my taxes. So I'm going to just not pay them because it's cheaper than going out and borrow money to pay my taxes. And I said, well, I don't believe you're calculating this correctly because the government is a really bad credit card. Uh, you don't want to um, mess with the tax collector in um, you know, allowing that penalty because you could see those things compound so quickly, um, and it could dry up the equity in your home um, where, you're, you know, where your taxes are then, um, you know, to a point where it's not even worth uh, uh, it's not it's not worth it and end up walking away. So um, I, I would never recommend people use the uh, government as a credit card and not pay their taxes. Yeah, that's... it takes a while for the tax collector to move. You know, you got five years, but in those five years, that number can get quite substantial and yeah. daunting. Tom, I had a couple of other questions here for sure. you. Change the topic just a little bit. Um, I also get calls pretty regularly about um, the homeowner's exemption mm -hmm. that can be filed on an owner-occupied residence. And I don't know that I ever have a, a very good explanation of what this is for. I just I tell people that if it's your primary residence, there's a, a form you could fill out to testify that you occupy and it saves you uh, 75 bucks or something. I, right. I, I, I feel like it's close, but I'm not sure. So, so tell me what that is. The homeowner's exemption was uh, put into place in the early 70s. I think it was in the not, I wouldn't swear to this, 1972. And it was, it's $7,000 of assessed value. Um, the mistake that was made is that it was never um, inflated. It was, there was, there's no inflation factor. So it's still the same as it was in 1972. And at the time, it was meant to be about a 20% tax break to people in their um, primary residence, their principal residence, excuse me, uh, was defined as a principal residence. So... Um, People would file it. They'd get $7,000 off their assessed value, which was uh, equivalent about, on average, of course, this is a number across the state of California in the 70s, which is irrelevant today. Um, so it's still $7,000. Here we are in, 20, 000, in, in 2014. So it's still only like $70 plus whatever your, again, you know, your one and a quarter percent or whatever it might be. So, you know, it's a, it's a dinner out. But more importantly, it establishes uh, your uh, principal residence, and that could come to play uh, when you um, apply for base year transfers. Um, for instance, if you sell your home, if you're over 55 and you want to move your old base to a new base, you can only do that with your principal place of residency. So, um, you know, it, there's other benefits to it besides the $70. Um, and you know what? It's 70 bucks, and it's just a form. You file it with our office. We track it. You can only have it one place in uh, in California, and uh, uh, again, it has to be your principal place of residence. But if people do not have a homeowner's exemption, um, they should, because again, it also provides us, and it, it is a litmus test on some other things that may occur in the future, 
um, as to what your, what, you know, your property, to, to show that it is your principal place of residency. Hey, Tom, I want to give out the phone number here in case we get some people that are interested in uh, sure. asking a question or sharing a comment. 543 is the number, 543 We do need to put you on hold, Tom, and do a quick commercial break. No we got some paid sponsors that we got to get recognition to. And when we get back, it, it's funny you brought up that 55 and over um, basis transfer because that was the next thing on my list to ask you about. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that when we get back and, and hopefully we'll have a question or two. So stick around after this break for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KBEC News Talk 920. For... To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right, thanks for sticking with us through that quick commercial break. You're listening to Mortgage Matters. And we're joined live by Tom Bordenaro, our San Luis Obispo County tax assessor. Uh, thanks, Tom, for waiting patiently through that quick break. No problem. Uh, we were just about to talk more about that um, 
that 55 and over tax base transfer, but we did get a phone call during the break. So we want to take uh, Marilyn's call here first. And really quickly, if anyone else out there has a question for Tom, you can give us a call at 543-8830, 543-8830. Marilyn, um, calling from San Luis Obispo. Thank you so much for calling in. You had a question for Tom? I have actually two. Hello. <laughs> okay. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. I wondered on the homeowner's exemption, uh, if you are the, your principal residence is in a building where there are multiple apartments, is that still a homeowner's exemption? Um, if there are, if it's a condominium, um, well, if it's, a part, if it's an apartment, you do not qualify because you have to own, actually own the property. Um, so, but a condominium, yes, does qualify. Well, she owns the property, but she lives in it, too. Okay. She, I believe, can still claim that. Okay. And the other question, thank you. Uh, Prop 13 uh, went into effect in, what, 1975? Went into effect in 1978. Eight. Okay. So at that time, I understood... Prop 13 would only be applicable to those property owners who had owned the property prior to that date. No. It, it applies to everybody, all the way, it, including today. Anyone that purchases property, commercial, industrial, manufacturing, residential, any real property in the state of California falls under Prop 13. Oh, so everybody has that advantage. Yes, everyone yes. has that protection. What about Prop 8? I Every, don't know anything about yes, it. Yes, everybody has um, the right to Prop 8. It, it, it qualifies to all real property in the state of California. So why would people want to uh, veto Prop 13? Ooh, here we go. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Um, I love it. I think it's a great question. There are There are continuous attempts to undermine Prop 13, uh, and it's mainly a revenue issue. It has nothing to do with anything but that. People believe that there are those that believe our taxes are too low in the state of California. I am not one of those, um, and there are some that believe, you know, it should only be for residential. You know, commercials should not be under Prop 13. We call that a split roll, a split assessment roll. Um, I'm also not one of those. I think everybody should be treated equally. You know, people say Prop 13 is not fair. Um, but, again, it's your definition of fair. Um, I think it's fair because it applies to everybody equally, and you have your choice when you buy or, excuse me, when you sell your home or your property, your restaurant, whatever it might be, and purchase a new one. That is your choice and you know your taxes will most likely be going up. It is not equitable because somebody that lives in their home for 30 years will have a lower tax base than somebody who just purchased the same type of home right next door who's reassessed at a much higher le level. So equity and fairness are two different things, um, but there is constant um, attempts to undermine um, Prop 13, um, either through the initiative process, because it is in the Constitution. It's not something that can be changed 
um, by a simple act uh, of the legislature. So it either has to be done through an initiative or two-thirds of uh, both houses in Sacramento uh, and then put to a vote of the, of the people. So um, I think that, that should have answered your question. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye. Tom, that's interesting. I always get um, I always get going on this idea that it it has something to do with uh, where you are in your life, because when you sit down and counsel, you know, somebody that is just getting ready to make their first time home purchase, and and sometimes we see people that are buying a first home in San Luis for six hundred thousand dollars. They scraped it together. They're going to make it happen. Anytime, and I tell them, hey, the property tax on this place are estimated to be close to seven hundred dollars a month. Oh, that's crazy. I've got all these friends, you know, that have have property over there. They're paying $1,000 a year. <laughs> um, okay, those guys are Prop 13. That's the perk they get for owning that house for 35 years. You don't get that same uh, benefit. And it, it from that standpoint, it doesn't really feel equitable. Sometimes I feel like the younger well, people... It, it definitely is not equitable. Right. I, 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 it's not, it, it is an inequitable system. But so is our income tax system. Sure. So is, I mean, they, it, it, what is equitable? Um, I believe you got to tell those clients, in 35 years, you'll be the one with the lower taxes, and those the next folks that are coming in by next to you are going to be going, wait a minute, that guy's only paying $700 a month. I'm going to have to be paying $7,000 a month or whatever it is right. 35 years from now. So it definitely... Um, does benefit those that stay in their home longer. So if you're if you're like you know a Gen Xer, you look at that and it can be pretty frustrating. But once you've worked a lifetime and you know paid into the system, given your service, owned a home forever, been subject to all of the crazy goings on of like you know this last foreclosure boom we had, those guys look down and say, I earned the right to have this low property tax and. Um, so it just depends on the demographic. Absolutely. And, and I think the funny thing is, is that you can get into a pretty good argument from both sides of the coin about it. And, you know, the, it's kind of one of these things where I say, hey, it, you don't have to like it, but that's just the way that it is. And, it, yeah, it, it may not be equitable, but there's not a lot you're going to do about it. Well, and here's the other thing. Let's say we were to change it. The person that's paying 1000 a year will now be paying $700 a month. And the guy that's complaining is the one that's paying 700 a month now. It's not still going to be paying 700 a month. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> if it gets changed, it's not going to be where everyone's going to be lowered. It's going to be where everyone is brought up, uh, you know, the way it is in 49 other states. Because 49 other states, the last time I checked, and I know there was a couple states that were considering going to something like a Prop 13 um, in the last couple, three years, but in those other 49 states, every four years you're reassessed or so. It's called a cyclical reassessment. It just depends. Um, and so what the assessor does is they sometimes do that geographically. Uh, it, it, again, that depends. But every four years you're going to get a new reassessment. Right. So during this, this huge downturn, that didn't happen because we had uh, where you're, you're being – everyone was reassessed lower. But, in fact, what happened with county governments, uh, the revenues – they didn't drop as much as everyone was feared because you had all of those people that were still under market value were still being indexed up. So you have a much more stable revenue source for cities, for counties, for the school districts.
you're not subject to the big swings in revenue that you're seeing uh, in the other 49 states. Sure. So, you know, there are definitely advantages to it. Um, and I think that if you asked everybody out there, okay, if your taxes were based on the market value of your home um, in California or, you know, Prop 13, would it benefit you? And the vast majority of them um, would tell you that Prop 13 is a benefit. may not be a benefit when you first buy a home, but um, in your mind, because somebody else is paying lower, lower taxes, but it is a benefit over the long run, and like you said, depending on your demographics. So that kind of brings up a question for me, Tom, and it has to do with the triggers for reassessment of, of value. You had mentioned earlier that Prop 13 um, states that it's when a property is purchased or newly constructed, which I took to mean like a, a major remodel. Um, as well as just a new a new home construction, are there? One of the questions we get a lot is when there's just a change in title. Like, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, a married couple is divorced and and title is going to transfer to just one. Or if um, if a property is inherited from you know from parents to their children or or some type of inheritance type of issue, would that ever trigger a reassessment? Under Prop 13, again, there's no reassessment except for a change in ownership or new construction, as defined. Now, the kicker is the as defined, because the legislature and initiative process has constantly changed as defined. Um, and there are many examples um, uh, of, of exceptions to Prop 13, and we did talk about a few. But um, community property um, is not uh, a uh, reassessment, so if one spouse... Uh, either they, you know, pass and or whatever it might be uh, where they're no longer married, that's not going to trigger a reassessment. Um, there's a Prop 60, which is for the elderly that you can reserve your tax base. Prop 58, where you can give your children or your grandchildren um, property, you can also give them the tax base. Um, Williamson Act, property that's an agricultural a use where they sign a contract to keep it in agriculture, they can get a, uh, an exception to Prop 13. Seismically retrofitting uh, is accepted to Prop 13. Solar plants are accepted. Um, disaster relief, contamination, putting in ADA improvements. Um, there's, there's a lot of exceptions to Prop 13, and it's set as defined. So a change in ownership is also as defined. So what if I, and I'll give you an example, one of the ways of holding tiled is called joint tenancy. So I can bring you on a piece of property as a joint tenant. I had a 100% interest in the property. I bring you on as a joint tenant. We now both have, um, you know, a 50% undivided interest in that property. That under the law is not a reassessment. The legislature has designed that as, as defined that as not a change in ownership. However, if you left, and I receive 100% back, right? So the joint tenancy is severed. That would be a 50% reassessment. Hmm. So um, there's all kinds of exceptions to it. There's all kinds of, you know, different ways of holding title. You have legal entities. When does a corporation change ownership? Um, that's one of our big questions. You know, it's, it's under the law defined as when there's a change in control. Well, when is there a change in control 
um, in a partnership, uh, an LLC or a corporation or a trust, for example, that whole property. So we have a whole transfers department, which is our second largest group of, of folks, and all they do um, is receive deeds and legal entity documents and um, partnership agreements and trust agreements, and we have to look through those and see if, with all these other exceptions to Prop 13, if something might qualify but doesn't qualify. And there's constant um, attempts by uh, attorneys to try to figure out a way to get around reassessments. So there's constantly the laws are changing at the state level. Uh, rules that we operate under are changing at the state level. Um, and much of what we do, I mean, it sounds kind of funny, is figure out if there was a change of ownership. Um, and the best way to do that, and what I recommend people all the time, um, is before you do anything crazy with your largest asset that you probably will ever own, which is your house, you know, call our office first or consult an attorney. We can't give you legal advice. We can tell you what's going to happen um, if you do something, um, you know, like, oh, I'm in trouble with the IRS, so I'm going to give my house to my brother um, until this is all over, and then my brother gives it back to me. Well, guess what? It's a reassessment when it goes to your brother. It's another reassessment when it comes back. Tom, I get a lot of questions like that um, in terms of reassessments or even just the legalities of vesting. And we're we're careful to tell people that we're we're not qualified to advise them on how they should take title to their property or whether it's appropriate to transfer it or share it or something like that. Other than calling your office, are there some local um, references that come to mind of, of people that we might refer these folks to to get that kind of help? Well, we don't give legal advice either because uh, we're not attorneys, um, and I have nobody on staff that is an attorney. Um, you know, the best thing to do is to go to um, an attorney, a local attorney that does specialize in property, uh, in real property, and... There are some, I, you know, I can't, again, I, I can't tell you who to go to, but people can shop around and find uh, okay. an attorney for some advice. Of course, you know, then you got to pay for it. I mean, that's, that's the problem. But we can tell you, and we will tell you, if I do this, what will happen? And we will tell you, if you do X, Y, and Z, this is what will happen. The problem is people then go out and they do, you know, W, X, and Y, and they don't do Z, and then we end up with a reassessment, and they say, hey, what the heck happened? I thought you said I wasn't going to get reassessed. Well, then we have, you know. So you've got to be very careful. I just recommend that you don't do anything that sounds like, um, that looks like you're trying to get around a reassessment because most likely someone's already done it and the state has tightened up the rules somewhere. So um, just don't do anything crazy. I mean, don't be, bring people on your property um, and then bring them off your property. Don't transfer it to a neighbor until you get out of a lawsuit. I mean, usually those things will just end up. There's there's other ways of protecting your home. Um, you know, you can talk to an attorney about that. But um, be very careful. Call the office. We will help you as much as we possibly can. Um, but I've seen it too many times where people um, end up with a reassessment, and you know, they had their home. They're 100% owner. Five years later, they still have their home 100% owner, but all these things happened in between, and their taxes have tripled. Yeah. So, um, and it's just very sad, but people need to 
um, get professional advice before they do anything crazy with their property. That's always good advice. Hey, Tom, we're going to let you go, man. I sure do appreciate you taking the time today. Um, before we boot you off here, um, is there anything that you wanted to share, any parting comments or uh, ideas or anything that we should know? Well, just real quick, um, our website is um, uh, very easy to navigate. It's got a lot of information. It's got all our brochures, questions about how to preserve your tax base, um, answers to those things. Um, and I really recommend people go to it and check it out. It's slowcounty.ca.gov slash assessor. Um, so you can just Google on San Luis Obispo County and then find the assessor's portion of it. But uh, it's got a lot of great information, a lot of forms that are on site, and a lot of uh, answers to your questions that you might have. Or call our office at 781-5643, and we'll help you out as much as we can. Yeah, I, I just want you to know that um, we do deal with you guys um, somewhat regularly, and I always find the staff is so uh, helpful and, and just courteous and kind, too. I mean, it's... A, it's I never get this the same feeling as like, you know, the DMV or the Social Security office or anything like that. I I definitely appreciate that. It seems like you've got a good culture in there. Well, you know, I appreciate that very much. It, it, they have the toughest job and I have a fantastic job staff, but they have the toughest job because they're public servants, but they produce a product nobody wants, and that's a tax bill. Yep. So, um they have a great attitude. They're there to help. They want to help. Um, and I think they're just absolutely fantastic, and I just appreciate them uh, for what they do. Yeah, likewise. Hey, all right, Tom. Well, Thank hey, you. thanks again, man. We'll we'll work on getting you on uh, maybe a little bit more than once every year or so. Um, it's always informative and always helpful, and it, it's true to the nature. What we're trying to do is get the word out on critical topics so more people have the information. You bet. That'd be so, fantastic. All right. Thanks, Tom. Take care. All right, we have, uh, oh gosh, just five minutes to go. What kind of topic are you prepared to develop in five minutes, sir? <laughs> I have I have nothing. I think we could just sum up the show um, as a, a good one. I, I like I like it when we get this opportunity to get uh, Tom Bordenaro on. He's a wealth of information. There's so much to know about, about property taxes, and I, I think it's great that they have a department dedicated to um, – the reassessments and and it, basically you can ask the what if scenarios um, that we get asked a lot. I know people are always concerned uh, about how to preserve that tax base. It is an important um, benefit that that home that owners of real property enjoy. And I thought the question that Marilyn brought up was a was a good one um, that we could develop. I, I think often the Prop 13 gets um, questioned because of the inclusion of the commercial property and and that's a topic that can be hotly debated yeah the the funny thing is too is that people like to get awfully fired up about th that debate and the reality is is that i don't think either uh on the residential or the commercial or whatever i don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon so i, I try not to put too much energy into it um, well, it sounds to me what I what I gathered from this conversation. It sounds to me like the state of California is constantly looking at these issues. They're looking at the at the whether it's a an entity or an individual or group of individuals that are trying to get around um, 
legal reassessments of value. And and so the loopholes that maybe people have taken advantage of in the past, they're they're getting figured out, they're getting sure. caught and and so I think any unintended benefits that maybe entities are receiving, I, I think slowly those loopholes are being closed. And, yeah. and that's the message that I got. So I don't have an idea of how to improve the system. I just, I don't have a better idea. Um, Prop 13, I think I share a lot of the same views as um, our assessor in that respect. But here's the deal. There is something about it that just doesn't sit well with me that you could be paying, you know, a disproportionate share today than what your neighbor is paying. But like I said, I don't know how you fix that. Maybe it doesn't feel right. The answer that, oh yeah, well you just do your time. You'll be, you'll be, you'll feel healed in time when some other poor schmuck has to pay more than you. Then it, then that's your season. That feels flawed to me. Um, but at the same time, it's all relative, right? Wages and expenses and through time. So, well, it doesn't price someone out of a neighborhood that they've lived in forever, um, you know, simply because their taxes have increased. They can enjoy their same quality of life that they've been enjoying. Sure. Without the that. mansionization of, you know, whatever neighborhood could kick people out if they didn't have that protection i get it it's just there's something about it like i said but i i don't feel like i can even have an argument with you because i don't know what an appropriate solution or better way to do it is i think it's fine um hey so thanks again to tom bordenaro taking the time out to come in and uh to have that conversation with us uh, there's not much time left here. I do want to let you guys know that we're available for all of your home loan needs. We do purchase loans and refinance loans. We can help you get equity or acquire an investment property. Whatever you're after, give us a call, 543-LOAN, 543-5626. Find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. Thanks much for being with us. We'll see you next week for more Mortgage Matters.